0: Good morning and welcome to another edition of Questions for Lawyers. I'm your host, Jeff Edelman. And today we are going to have a little bit of a different kind of show today because there is something going on that hasn't happened in 43 years. We have a race for the state attorney's office. Michael Satz is retiring and there are eight candidates running for the spot as Broward County State Attorney. So today, it is my pleasure to welcome to Questions for Lawyers, Joe Kamak from the Special uh, Conflict Counsel, who is one of the candidates running for state attorney. Welcome to the show, Joe.
1: Thanks for having me, Jeff. If you could, can you please introduce yourself to the audience, tell them a little bit about your background. Sure. Uh, My name is Joe Kimok. Um, I'm a a dad. I'm a husband. Um, I'm the president of the local bar association, our local uh, criminal defense bar association. Um, And I'm running for state attorney because I believe it's time that we end mass incarceration. I think we can do that now. Um, I'm the proud oldest son of a single mom. Um, We were raised on food stamps, soup kitchens, a whole lot of love. Um, was lucky enough to, to be able to go to college and, and eventually law school. Um, and right now, I, uh, for the last several years, I have been a criminal defense lawyer with a state agency called Regional Conflict Council. Uh, we represent only indigent people. Um, and I represent folks charged with everything from misdemeanors to homicide to folks facing the death penalty. Um, and so I'm in these criminal courtrooms every single day. Um, and, I'm, I love my job. It's the best job I've ever had. Um, and, and I think I'm pretty good at it. Um, but I can't, I can't sit in these courtrooms anymore and watch this factory si- system of justice that we have. Um, and so, uh, you know, the, the beginning of the year, a, a, a group of us got together and thought, what can we do to, to really make some systemic change? Um, and electing a new prosecutor was top of the list. And so I threw my, my hat in and here we are. Well again it's a bold move and uh but you do have a lot of real
0: life experience that you bring to the table that uh is unusual for somebody running for for this position. Do you want to talk about some of the jobs you've had
1: besides being a criminal defense attorney? Sure. Well, um, you know, growing up in poverty, um, I've been working since I was 14. Um, I've been a, a dishwasher, a supermarket clerk. Um, I was a commercial salmon fisherman for a summer in college um, off the coast of Alaska, very like dangerous catch style. Um, and after I graduated from Florida State, um, I joined what's called Teach for America. Um, the They recruit highly talented kids to teach in inner cities. Um, And I went and I taught at a low-income school in Houston, Texas. I taught high school English for three years. Um, It was an amazing experience. Um, My kids, uh, many of them were undocumented immigrants. Many of them had very, very harrowing stories of how they came to this country. Um, And it really just... um, I tell people I learned a lot more from them than they probably learned from me. Um, but it was really a, an amazing experience. Um, I then went to law school, uh, at Vanderbilt. When I, when I graduated from Vanderbilt, I had a lot of options. Um, I could have gone into civil. I had an offer at a big firm in Washington, D.C. Um, But I really, I believed in justice. I wanted to do something with my life that mattered. Um, And I thought that the best way to do that was to join the prosecutor's office. Um, And so I started as an assistant state attorney right here in Broward County, um, where I was for a little over three years um, and learned in that process that Um, being a prosecutor in an era of mass incarceration um, was not the type of justice that I was looking forward to fighting. Instead, what I was finding was that I was spending most of my time putting mostly black and brown young men into prison for long periods of time uh, for nonviolent offenses. Um, And it, my discomfort grew and grew and, and I'll never forget kind of the, the, the tipping point for me was um, I was in an airport in Atlanta um, and I picked up a book called The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. Um, and she w- is, was able to articulate for me kind of everything that is wrong with the criminal justice system that I hadn't quite been able to articulate for myself. Um, and three months later, I was gone. Um, I'm now, a, a, like we said, a, a criminal defense lawyer solely for the indigent, and it's the best job I've ever had.
0: Well, in addition to, you know, your job with as a teacher for, uh, for indigent people, uh, how did that experience shape you going into law school? Because most people, they go to college and they go to law school. Mm-hmm. You had a little gap in between, but that's what you were doing. How
1: long were you teaching? Uh, three years. Okay. How did the, And how did that shape you? Yeah. So um, teaching was the hardest job I've ever had. Um, and it, it, any of your viewers or teachers, they'll probably relate. Um, it. You meet so many Amazing, amazing students. I mean, my students were inspiring to me um, what they went through and what they were um, uh, uh, going through in order to create a better life for themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but living in a country, in a community that often didn't value them as individuals, right? And so these were folks that were dealing with not just often immigration issues, but folks dealing, um, with extreme poverty, um, with gang violence, with malnutrition, with the normal everyday hormonal experience of being a 15 year old. Mm -hmm. Um, and yet they were showing up every morning to get a better life, to, to try to, to, um, uh, get a good education. Um, and I have, I've kept in touch with many of my students and and they are teachers now and community organizers and um, and uh, entrepreneurs who own their own companies. And so it's been really inspiring for me that um, if these kids who uh, experienced challenges that I could not have imagined growing up um, are able to, to, to succeed at a a really, really high level, um, then it it gives me inspiration that kind of we can achieve anything that we want if we really uh, work hard enough for it.
0: Yeah, that's got to be very satisfying to keep in touch with those students and and see that. Now, you've mentioned a couple of times about mass incarceration. Can you explain what you mean by that? Because we hear that in, in the current news cycle a lot.
1: I don't think everybody knows what that means, though. Sure. Uh, mass mass incarceration is the state in which our country now exists, uh, in which we have 2.3 million people currently behind bars in this country. That's more people than were slaves in 1850. Uh, in Florida, there are 96,000 of our neighbors in state prison, um, hundreds of thousands more in Uh, local jails or under some form of government control. Uh, The last estimate is that across the country, there are somewhere between 7 and 8 million people who are under some form of government control, probation, parole, house arrest. Um, And when we have those huge numbers, um, the effect of that on a person's life, on a family's life, on a community's life, Um, is, is is huge. And so uh, what mass incarceration has become is essentially a way in which the government um, has uh, oppressed people of color and poor people um, in a way that not just stays with them while they're going under the oppression, right? While they're in jail, while they're in prison, but for years and decades later. Um, We know, for example, that the best way to reduce crime, the best way to reduce crime is to reduce poverty. Our system does the opposite. Our system uh, makes it harder for folks to get a job. It it puts fines on people over and over again. Um, It suspends their driver's license so they can't go get a job. And so we don't have a criminal justice system Anymore, we have a criminal legal system um, and one in which that um, doesn't just have the effect of oppressing people, but is designed to do that. Um, and so that's what we're here to, to, to try to dismantle. And in what ways, if you were to be elected state attorney of
0: Broward County, would you uh, make changes to limit, uh, to do something about mass incarceration?
1: Yeah. So there's... Um, There is no one silver bullet solution to that. It is a a a number of different points. So one easy thing we can do is to end cash bail. Um, If you or I are arrested for a crime, they'll put a a a cash bond on us, and uh, we can probably afford it and and get out and fight our case from the outside. If we were indigent, if we were poor, we would sit in jail, Mm -hmm. and what that does is it creates two systems of justice: one for folks who can afford it to get out and one for folks who can't. Um, And then those folks we know are more likely to plead guilty to crimes they didn't commit. They're more likely to get longer sentences than folks that are able to bond out. Um, We can end the war on drugs. We can decriminalize drugs. We believe that um, addiction is better treated by experts in the community than by guards behind bars. Um, And so when, and then when we take away an incentive of a police officer to arrest somebody, we decrease these um, negative interactions that folks are having with police, right? Right. So if a police officer doesn't have an incentive to go and uh, pat somebody down who's walking down the street in his own neighborhood looking for drugs because we're not going to charge the drugs, then that officer is more likely to go up and have a conversation with the person as opposed to... uh, uh, making this a confrontation, um, we believe that we need to end the school-to-prison pipeline. Um, we know that the moment that we put a child into handcuffs, that child is more likely to recidivate and become a hardened criminal down the road. Um, when we, if they spend one night in a detention center, um, if they spend miss one day of school um, in order to go to court that those numbers get even higher and higher as the the kids that then are less likely to graduate high school and more likely to become criminals down the road. Uh, We believe that for kids, and back up one point, Florida leads the country in charging kids as adults. Um, And the next state, Oregon, isn't even close. We are far and away um, a leader in charging kids as adults, We don't believe that kids should ever be in adult jail. Um, We don't believe that kids should ever be in uh, solitary confinement, which is where they often end up when they are sent to an adult jail. Um, And so what we have said is that we will um, uh, eliminate what's called direct file, uh, which is the process by which the prosecutor unilaterally decides uh, which kids become get charged as adults. Um, and then what we said is that the def for kids, the default should be, uh, diversion and rehabilitation, not incarceration. Uh, incarceration of anyone is an act of violence. We know that we know that when we put anyone behind bars, we are, we are, um, doing an act of violence upon them. It is even more so when it's a kid and, uh, What we have said is that that can only be done in the most extreme of circumstances. Instead, under mass incarceration, what we have had for decades now is a um, lock them up first, figure it out later philosophy let's lock them up, get them arrested, get them in the system, and then try and use the system as best we can to help them. Um, and it it hasn't worked and we've been doing the same thing over and over again. And juvenile crime is still, is still very high. Um, and what we say is, look, we need to use our resources on the front end, um, treat kids like kids. Um, and that will make all of us safer. Um, we also think to dismantle mass incarceration, there are a whole lot of crimes that that simp- we shouldn't be charging, right? So we have said we will not charge any possession of marijuana um, offenses in, in any amount. Uh, we uh, Quality of life crimes. Um, we don't think that sex work should be criminalized. Um, uh, arresting homeless people for trespass or for loitering. Uh, we think there are much better uses of our of our uh, resources uh, than throwing these folks in jail. And so um, those are obviously a, a, a smattering of ways in which we can reduce both the overall number of people that are arrested, um, but then also charged. And then there's the, the good side of that, right? When we mm-hmm. start reducing the resources that we're spending on nonviolent folks Um, we can hire more homicide detectives we can hire more sexual assault prosecutors uh, folks that can um, focus on preventing violent crime Um, and so this isn't a uh, you know this is this isn't the situation well where if we if we stop arresting folks. If we stop charging folks, isn't that going to make us less safe? No, we actually think that it will make us safer. And we're seeing that in some of the other communities in which a uh, progressive prosecutor has been elected.
0: Now, you mentioned about uh, not prosecuting marijuana crimes. I know recently there was an announcement, I believe, from the Broward County State Attorney's Mm -hmm. Office. They're not going to
1: prosecute with three ounces or less. Is that what it was? Uh, for misdemeanors it must be at least three ounces for felonies it must be at least 25 ounces
0: and by just looking at that if i think what you're saying is if there's not a reason to have the confrontation with the person it doesn't lead to other incidents that are far worse because there's already an apprehension if uh, say a law enforcement officers approaching somebody for something that's a nonviolent crime, and sometimes that can lead to something
1: more. Right, that's exactly right. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, there are communities here in Broward County who are more afraid of police officers than they are of violent criminals, um, and we need to recognize that right we need to re- we need to look at the, the the reasons for that and the reasons for that is is um, they get pulled over driving in their own neighborhood they get pulled o- they had stopped riding a bike on the street i've represented um, I represented a man once who was literally pulled over for biking on the wrong side of the street in his own neighborhood um, I represented a guy once who was walking in his own neighborhood and was pulled over or was stopped for not walking on the sidewalk Right And so um, these things don't happen in all neighborhoods. They happen in low income neighborhoods and they happen in in black and brown neighborhoods. Um, we think that if we can uh, eliminate the incentive for police officers to do that um, to to stop folks looking for drugs, then we change the dynamic. We change that relationship of from one of distrust to um, one uh, to one of trust. Um, and so that's obviously one of the many benefits of, uh, decriminalizing drugs. We also know it works as far as addiction is concerned. Um, we look to other countries like Portugal who has had amazing experiences with, um, decriminalizing drugs. Um, and it has significantly reduced their addiction rates. Seattle. Uh, Seattle, Washington, is also led by a progressive prosecutor, has also had some really good results in decreasing their addiction rates um, by, instead of arresting folks who have drugs on them, um, getting them the help that they need uh, on the front end. Um, And so, you know, it's just a win-win. The war on drugs has been the worst mistake uh, in our nation's history um, over the last 30 years as it pertains to what we're doing to our own citizens, the number of lives that we've ruined, the number of families that we've ruined um, the number of communities that we have kept oppressed all in the name of the war on drugs um, is, is something that I think I know that we're going to look back as, as a dark stain on our history one day. You know, often the term mental health gets
0: thrown out there and this issue and so many other issues get thrown that are really mental health type of issues. And the resources are not made available to these people. And the the, the point is, we're better off having whole people or people that can be pieced back together mm-hmm. than broken people who are released and go right
1: back into the system. Yeah. Um, the number one mental health provider in Broward County is the Broward County Jail. Uh, we have essentially shut down uh, all of our, most of our state-run government-run mental health facilities, and so then for folks who don't have insurance um, who need help, there's nowhere for them to go. And what ends up happening is is they go out on the street, or they act out, or or uh, find themselves in the criminal justice system, um, and. I can tell you as someone who has spent a significant amount of time in uh, the mental health jail, it's called the North Broward Jail here in Broward County, um, that it, it trying to um, help someone's mental health while at the same time keeping them in shackles and often alone in a room is very counterproductive. And so you're right. So they'll, they'll go through the process. Eventually, they'll get out. And we haven't addressed the root cause of of what's wrong there, of of the crime itself. And so it's only a matter of time that we see folks like this recidivate. Um, We need a massive investment in mental health um, in our community and in communities across the the country. Um, What I have said as state attorney is we need to do – a much much better job on the front end of diverting these folks um, to mental health uh, facilities um, don't get them don't let's not suck them into the system where the system itself usually does more harm than good um, let's get them the help that they need in the community um, so that both we can help the individual but then we can also, you know, prevent future crime. Now, obviously, there's going to be people
0: out there watching that are either law enforcement or um, always on the side of, of law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Um, and like everything else in life, there's one way, the other way, and then in the middle is really mm-hmm. the truth. What would you say to those people who think that you know, because of your positions and all that, that that means that somehow you wouldn't be tough on crime yeah. on, on violent offenders.
1: Yeah. Uh, the good cops. First of all, don't like bad cops. It gives them a bad name, right? It, it makes their life much more difficult and, and good cops don't want to be messing around with these low level drug offenses with nonviolent offenders. That's not why they signed up to risk their lives, right? They sign up to risk their lives to protect people, to make our community safer. Um, And that's what our whole campaign is about, is that we are very much safer uh, when we are freer, when um, we don't have the government's foot on our neck um, with our fines and fees, with walking down the street. Um, And so the... By decreasing, like we said earlier, by decreasing the amount of resources that we spend on these nonviolent offenses, um, on folks that don't um, pose any threat to us, um, we can then use those resources uh, in better ways, like um, finding the root causes to crime, like uh, investigating homicides, um investigating sexual assaults and so I, I I what I say to those folks is this is not an anti-police campaign by any stretch of the imagination this is a there is a much better way to keep us safe um, Having said that look there's going to be growing pains and I we understand that the mass incarceration and we've had the same state attorney for 44 years. We've been doing it very much the same way for 40 years. Um, And so it will be a challenge for us uh, when we uh, become state attorney to sell this vision, right. To, to, to continue to have these conversations with uh, police chiefs, with, with um, officers uh, working a beat that, um, there is a different vision um, and that this vision keeps us significantly safer than what we've been doing. Um, and so we're going to have a lot of work to do to, to kind of build those bridges um, to create this new, uh, th- this new generation. Yeah, this is, again, I,
0: I think that people focus on presidential elections, Senator elections, governor elections, but This is something that really does affect your, you know, everyday people's lives, the state attorney in the county that they live. Um, One of the issues that's always a hot button issue. I mean, the Orange County prosecutor, I think, got some static a few years ago. She said she will not be asking for the death penalty uh, in Orange County, in Orlando. Mm -hmm. I believe
1: I'm I'm right about that. Mm -hmm. Um, What is your position with regards to the death penalty? I am, I am very much opposed to the death penalty. Why um, is that? Uh, the death penalty is an immoral. Um, it is unethical. Um, I don't believe the government has the right to take a life. So for me, the question is not whether somebody deserves to die. Um, the question for me is whether we have a right to kill. Um, I am an imperfect person. I I know that I'm imperfect. Um, And as state attorney, I will be imperfect. And that scares me, right? Uh, That scares me in the sense that I could make a mistake. Uh, We know in the state of Florida that the state of Florida leads the country in exonerations from death row. There are 27 people who were on death row who are now Um, who were exonerated, found to be legally innocent. Um, We also know that the death penalty isn't about the worst of the worst. Our experience with the death penalty tells us that. Um, Instead, the death penalty is about race, and it's about poverty, and it's about mental illness. Those are the three common factors in in the vast majority of folks that end up being sentenced to the death penalty. Uh, The death penalty is also dying. It's dying across the country. We are, or excuse me, across the world. We're on a very short list. And and the list of the other countries that are still using it is not, it's not a list you necessarily want to be on. Right, Um, And it's dying across the country. There are only only 3% of counties in the United States still regularly impose the death penalty. 3%. 3% of counties uh, regularly impose the death penalty. Um, There are... About half the states still have it on their books, but they're not—they're not actually issuing any death sentences. Um, and then even in states like Texas, Florida, Georgia, um, and California, where we're seeing lots of death sentences, it, even that it's relegated to a small number of counties. Broward County is one of those counties. Um, we are still very much regularly uh, imposing the death penalty. Um, the Governor of the Cal- Governor of California, uh, just a few months ago, uh, announced that he would not be executing anybody um, that was on death row, um, and California has the largest number of folks that are currently on death row. Um, and so, you know, we also know that that it's a money issue that um, the death penalty costs us, uh, by some estimates, twenty times the amount that a life in prison sentence would cost us. And a lot of people don't realize that. right they, they, they think it's the opposite they think well why am I going to use my tax dollars to lock somebody up for the rest of their lives I get that from a from an from a purely economic standpoint uh, it actually costs considerably more to kill somebody than it does to um, to, to lock them up forever um, and and you know for me the 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 Policy parts of it are important. The, the money part is important. The the fairness part is important. Um, but for me, it, it is very much like I said, a, a moral issue. I've I've represented somebody um, earlier this year. I went to trial on a death penalty case um, on a man that I believed was innocent. Um, now, after seven weeks, we ended in a hung jury, um, and on on what's called guilt phase on whether or not he actually committed the crime. Um, But the experience of sitting there for seven weeks next to a man that I cared for, um, while two very smart um, prosecutors did everything to kill him, everything that they could to kill him, um, was a very enlightening experience for me. And I was opposed to the death penalty long before that. Um, But to sit in a room while two individuals that you ordinarily respect, do every spend hours upon hours plotting to kill somebody. Um, to me, that's just not who we are. That's not who we are as a community. It's not who we should be as a country. Um, and so I am I am opposed to the death penalty. Now, with the the Ayala issue presents a um, an interesting challenge, right? And so Miss um, Ayala was very courageous um, shortly after she was elected, and she said that she would not seek the death penalty as have numerous prosecutors across the country. Um, The Florida Supreme Court ruled that that was unconstitutional, that a a state attorney must consider the death penalty in in, in an appropriate circumstance. Um, And so as state attorney, I will consider it. I don't know that I'll ever seek it. Um, We will have a very transparent process in which the community will know why or why not we're seeking a death the, the death penalty, um, which we don't have right now, by the way. I mean, I'm in the system and I don't know how they make the decisions that they make over right. there um, to, to seek the death penalty or not. Um, um, and so, but, but like I said, you know, there have been, um, there, there will be the opportunity. Um, folks are, there, there's going to be first degree murders right. Right, during the camp, well, during we, my term. In, in, in our
0: community. I mean, you have to, we have to, you know, at least mention the Douglas shooting, Mm -hmm. uh, the killer, Um, his trial is going to be coming up and it could be coming up uh, next year. Yeah, next year. uh, After, uh, you know, if you are, you know, elected as state attorney, it could be uh, your decision with that. So um, that, you know, brings in a lot of different issues as well uh, as to whether or not he'll even get it yeah so Uh, because i mean i think that what gets lost in all this is while i mean i live in coral springs i Mm -hmm. you know couldn't be angrier about everything that happened uh i also have read about his history and everything else and i'm concerned about going through a trial and having him convicted and not getting the death penalty Mm -hmm. and a lot of people being really upset i don't think they understand how it works yeah
1: i mean now, in order to get the death penalty, um, it, it's very, very difficult. Which is good. That's a good thing. Um, up until really three years ago, in the state of Florida, you could get the death penalty with a non unanimous jury. So, twelve people um, they could dis- not agree. They could not agree on whether the person could get the death penalty, and as long as it was a majority who believed that the person should get the death penalty then um, the death penalty was an option. The judge could give it. Now you have to have all 12. Um, and to find 12 people who agree uh, that the person should be executed makes it much more difficult, which is a good thing. But it also means that you're right, especially in the crew situation, he has real mitigation. I mean, he has real mental health problems, um, and there's no telling what that will do. Um, but let's think about I'm going to take it a step further. Let's think about what that trial is going to do for our, what has already done and will do for our community. Uh, The building where the shooting happened is still standing. Um, Despite the Stoneman Douglas community wanting it torn down, uh, kids and teachers have to walk by that building every single day because the state attorney has ordered that it stay up. So that he can parade jurors through there um, and essentially traumatize them uh, in into trying to get a death penalty. That's a that's an extraordinary cost, and is it worth it? Um, Several million dollars it, a year just to maintain the just building, to maintain right? the building. Mm-hmm. Then you then you think about the cost of the trial. Uh, there's an economic cost. It's a, the estimate is about seven million dollars that it's going to cost just for the trial that we're going to pay for, but then. But more importantly, is the cost, the emotional cost that the trial is going to have on our community. Um, we are going to be forced to live through the worst collective day of our lives over and over and over again uh, for this trial. Um, and it doesn't have to be, right? And it's only worse for the folks that were actually impacted, that 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 had loved ones there. Um the alternative, his, his lawyers have said that he'll plead guilty to life and 34 counts of consecutive life in prison tomorrow. Um, and if he were to do that, he'd go off to prison. He'd sit in a box for the rest of his life and we would never hear from him again. We'd never see him again. By going forward with the death penalty, we are c- giving him the very attention that he sought from the beginning. He'll be on the news every night during the trial. Um, if he's given the death penalty, uh, then he'll be on the news throughout the course of his appeals. Um, and uh, eventually, 20 years from now, there will be news cameras and, and uh, protesters and folks outside the prison when he's put to death. Um if we were to accept the life without parole sentence now, he would never get out. And let's be very, very clear about that. He would never, ever, ever get out. And he would look at four walls for the rest of his life and at some point die with a whimper. And we might hear about it. We might not. To me, that's preferable. Um, and and so, you know, I, I my heart goes out. Um, next year when we expect the trial to go forward, uh, specifically to members of the the Stoneman Douglas community, because um, it's going to be extraordinarily difficult um, as we are kind of dragged through this trial.
0: Yeah, well, again, I think that's a major issue in being part of the Coral Springs community and living less than a mile from Douglas. I drive by that building uh, probably every other day, and mm-hmm. I just keep thinking what? it's up there because of that, mm-hmm. and I'm just concerned over the fact that there's no question that he's going to be found guilty, but are people going to get the result? And even if they get it, is it really going to, it's not going to heal. And that's, that's the concern for me. Well, Joe, I can't thank you enough for for coming on with me and, and speaking to everybody about why you're running for state attorney. I want to just give you an opportunity to just give, A closing argument or whatever you'd like to say to what differentiates you from the other eight people that are running and why people should vote for you on August 18th,
1: 2020. Sure. Um, This you alluded to it earlier. This really is the most important election that Broward County. Residents will vote for in 2020. the The role of the state attorney has more impact on your lives than the president does, than your county commissioner does, uh, than your mayor does. Uh, he or she is going to decide um, whether you or your loved one or somebody you care about is charged with a crime at some point. We know that. Um, the the everybody knows somebody who's been caught up in the system somehow um we i am the only candidate who has come forward with a comprehensive policy issues based platform and that's what differentiates us um you know in this race you've got some career prosecutors you've got uh some politicians um i'm the only one who's on in the trenches on the ground representing indigent folks every single day Um, and we are the only ones who because of that experience have been able to articulate a real platform for dismantling mass incarceration it includes ending all cash bail not just some of it it includes ending the war on drugs it includes dismantling the school to prison pipeline Um, and one thing we didn't talk about it includes creating um, and fully funding a conviction integrity unit so that folks that are in prison who are were wrongfully convicted can be let out, um, and it includes getting some sentencing justice, um, even for folks that are convicted of um, you know property crimes, burglary, robbery, um, are receiving astronomically long sentences, um, and so we have come out with a, with a, with a platform, both to reduce those sentences on the front end, but then also to look at some of these longer sentences of folks that are in prison who received long mandatory minimums, um, over the last couple decades and look at those sentences and see how we can bring, how we can get them out early, how we can bring some sort of sentencing justice to them. Um, I have a website, it's It's on the screen. Um, and and there, I think if you look at my website and you compare it to any of the other candidates, you'll see we have the most comprehensive platform that creates a real vision for dismantling mass incarceration. Um, and so I very much appreciate the opportunity to be here. I appreciate you having me. Oh, it was an absolute
0: pleasure. I really enjoyed our conversation and uh, just so many interesting topics when you're talking about law enforcement and Prosecutions and things that really do affect so many people
1: and their families. Absolutely, we, we've and just I'll just close. We have lived under mass incarceration about forty years, uh, and so for most of us that have been born within that time, um, it's the only system we've ever known. Um, but it hasn't been the system in the hist- over the course of our history of our nation's history. Um, we were founded on the very idea of freedom, um, and for a country that was founded on freedom, we are the most unfree nation on earth. Um, and it doesn't have to be that way. Um, but the best way to change that is to elect a, a progressive prosecutor. I hope I can earn, earn everybody's vote. Well, again, I really appreciate you coming on and I wish you good luck on
0: August 18th, 2020 Joe Kimmock Broward County state attorney candidate. Uh, next week we will be having a, uh, Uh, Another Joe, Joe Ballotta, who's a Social Security disability attorney on Questions for Lawyers. Again, we try to get different people on the air to ask uh, different questions. And this was a, a special program because we have a political race going on, and I love talking about those things too. And so, again, I really appreciate you coming on. Wish you good luck. And if anybody, again, wants to contact Joe, uh, joecamock.com. You can see it up on the screen. Uh, he's happy to answer any further questions you have. Next week, September 27th, we'll have Joe Bellotta, social security disability attorney. You won't want to miss it. Thank you for watching, listening. I'm attorney Jeff Edelman. Be well.